Welcome to the Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Dr. Baruch Halevi, and this is the Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. Welcome back to the combined efforts of the Defiant Spirit podcast and the Meaning Project podcast. Rabbi B and Dr. Deed coming back again after quite a layoff for the holidays, some meaningful uh, interactions, family and breaks. And, you know, usually when I I have the pleasure of uh, introducing the two of us, we come to you as caped logotherapists, mass men trying to spread meaning throughout the world. But today, Today, we're not doing the superhero thing. Instead, we come to you as humble philosophers, logo philosophers, even if you will. Today, we'd like to talk about the logo of Lassos, the Tao of Ted. That's right. One of our favorite topics, the meaning behind the show Ted Lasso. Okay, I can't. You you know, folks, we were chatting beforehand, uh, talking about today's topic, and I simply answered B with one of my favorite memes, the great Ted Lasso, saying, word. And uh, from there, we, we spitballed the idea of talking about the, the meaning behind Ted Lasso, the logo of Lasso, the Tower of Ted. But we can't do that because we have a real project here for you. B, I, I see you ready to, to burst forth with wisdom. What you got? Uh, I was just pulling up my Ted Lasso Enneagram slide that I made. Um, so, but, oh, okay, we're going back to the original topic. All right. All right. I, if you've got a Ted Lasso Enneagram, that's amazing. <laughs> Look, man, I, can, I mean, I can see how these relate because what we wanted to talk about is why logotherapy has not caught on in the states and it's interesting because ted lasso has for those of you who've seen it you know why such a i don't use this word too often but it is a lovely show mm-hmm. full of humor good humor healthy positive humor and and meaning every at the end of every episode seems to have a beautiful little bit of meaning behind it and that's certainly caught on why hasn't logotherapy that is a nice little uh, recovery segue there. That's that was good. That was masterful. So yes, let's let's get into either um, the logo of Lasso or why logotherapy hasn't yet caught on and scaled. But before we do, just great to be back in action. I am really glad we uh, could resume in 2023. It has been way too long, and I know people are really pining out there after they've run out of Ted Lasso episodes. They like, they've been waiting for us. So here we go. They're We're clamoring happy. for the B and D show to come back. And so here we are to, we are. to prevent the mayhem. We want to make sure there are no further uh, pickets or riots demanding our return to the podcast wave. So here we are to fulfill that demand. Good. It's good to see you again, man. Good to see you. Yeah. So, um, I, I do think it's an important conversation. We've touched on it before, but it's always good to re-examine, especially such an important topic like this. And it's it's some it's kind of boils down to what I get asked quite often, which is, what is logotherapy? Because I've never heard of this thing. I've heard of certainly Jungian psychotherapy. I've heard of you know Freudian psychoanalysis, but why haven't I heard of this logotherapy? And a lot of the times that's coming from people who've actually heard of Dr. Viktor Frankl. So 
that's even more interesting of why don't people know about this unfortunately well-kept secret well and i think also not only does it come from people that have heard of man's search for meaning dr franco but uh, from students of psychology counseling students therapy students psychology students um i you know I've, I've been through a lot of those textbooks as a student and as a teacher and he and it he being dr victor frankel and it being logotherapy really only get a cursory glance maybe a line or two in a few textbooks here and there mm -hmm. and you know we know as students of his of his you know uh, philosophy and, and and theories i mean he's considered one of the big three uh, founders of psychology you got freud adler frankel and then of course jung fits in there a lot lately um, we're hearing a lot about him from dr jordan peterson and other types but why have we left him out so lots of lots of different reasons and then i think in addition to why has he been left out or we don't know about him as to how to scale this how to get that you know a message that's time has come out to a world that needs this message more than ever all right um let's just go we'll play some ping pong here i'll start with i think one of the reasons is because it the context out of which it was not born but certainly where it um was lived was the holocaust and i do think when it comes to all things holocaust there's still an individual and collective trauma around it um there's so many different layers to it that i found this is not the only conversation that is not being had when it comes to holocaust or holocaust related topics so um, I just think it hits on a human, you know, reality of its its pain. There's so much pain and suffering, you know, in man's search for meaning. Um, when I recommend it, I get that visceral thing where I like, ooh, I read it. Yeah, I'm glad I read it. It was meaningful, but ooh, like, why didn't you tell me ahead of time what I was in for kind of a thing? You know, that's an interesting point when I was thinking about what we we're going to talk about today that's that's the big word i wrote down is suffering and i feel like i actually got some pushback on that just in the past week or two um i don't think our culture in particular the culture of north america particularly the united states really likes to embrace this idea that life is suffering mm -hmm. and no matter i mean you can go back into just about any ancient wisdom text uh, in most major religions and and and, and in most uh, minor religions of the past, and they say similar things. Life is suffering. That suffering is meant to bring us closer to our Creator and closer to each other. Because if we didn't have that, we would just be islands of humanity doing our own thing, and that doesn't work well. Yeah. So, you know, at the heart of both logotherapy is confronting suffering. And if you read Man's Search for Meaning, you're not getting around it. And Frankel's um, one of the differentiators of his life is, you know, like I, we've mentioned before, positive psychology is a wonderful um, contribution to, the, to the, the school of psychology and, you know, how we can live a better life. But it was born at Harvard. I mean, Martin Seligman and others, wonderful, like great. I don't know. It doesn't for me have the same weight as when you read Man's Search for Meaning and you understand that this is not only a philosophy 
that was born out of that context, but that was proven right by a man who lived it in that context. I, I just talked to somebody who said, you know, my problems don't compare to Frankel's. And it's really hard for me because you know, his suffering was a Holocaust and mine is my daughter is, you know, smoking too much marijuana. And they're like, not the same thing. But Frankel would say suffering is suffering, right? Suffering is yours. It's There's no suffering Olympics. You don't get gold medals. And if you're experiencing suffering, you're experiencing suffering. But I think there's this like overwhelm with the amount and degree of suffering that he and his philosophy represent. Agreed. I mean, fortunately, many of us do not suffer in a concentration camp for years. Um, and, and, I, and I have to say this a lot in, in my office and in coaching, right? Like it is human nature to compare. It helps us to understand ourselves and our environment and those around us. But we do not need to compare our suffering, our struggles, our issues. We all suffer. And if we start to put degrees on it, like, oh, well, my suffering's an A plus, but yours, yeah, maybe a D minus, right? Like, then we invalidate and negate, well, each other's humanity. We suffer and we all experience it differently, but we still experience it. And rather than comparing, the best thing we can do is empathize. But that all of a sudden I'm going into uh, counseling and coaching and treatment land and missing the point of why why isn't as common why how do we scale it for okay let's talk about the why and then the how why well, not let's let's come back to what you talked about before which is we're our culture um is really a culture that i believe is deep into toxic positivity i'm glad you brought that up and that's not positivity uh, in an honest way it's weaponizing positivity to the point where Anything less than positive is somehow inferior. And so I see this a lot in the, you know, the new agey, but also the way certain tradition religions presented and, you know, you pick your genre and we're really focused on the positive, the positive at, as if it is better than the negative and you need both. Uh, right. So here we go again, quoting uh, our, our, good friend and mentor. Um, I wish he was our friend. He's way too popular for cats like us, right? But Dr. Peterson, right? Any one of his lectures talks about the need for chaos and order, light and dark, positive and negative. But you're right. We get so hung up on everything has to be positive. What is, ah, it's the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. That's utter BS and the right. The world is falling. The bricks are falling down around them. Everything is not awesome in that movie, but everybody is mandated to sing that damn song. And I feel like that's a lot of what toxic positivity is, um, is just following that step by step. And, and sometimes I'll, I, I know you mentioned weaponizing it, but I've also found sometimes we do it out of ignorance because we are so poor at validating and empathizing and embracing each other's suffering. Um, we just come up with these silly cliches. Oh, everything's going to be all right. Uh, that person's in a better place. They're out of pain. We've talked about grief before. And and not only weaponizing it, but we use it to make ourselves feel better while the person struggling or suffering feels worse. But it doesn't make us feel better. That's the problem. And I, I don't say weaponizing lightly. You know, my mm -hmm. father, as probably most people know, um, took his own life. And he did it after... From, there are many factors in his suicide, but one of them, and I don't talk about this that often just because it doesn't come up, 
he had watched the documentary The Secret mm. something like 50 times. We found out afterwards, like an unhealthy amount. I mean, I think once is unhealthy, but it was it was like, um, you know, clinically unhealthy. He watched it a lot. And I wondered what was going on in his mind when he killed himself. And I think there was a toxic positivity because what the what the secret said was his problems are his doing and he should be able to manifest his way out of them. He should be able to manifest a million dollars or whatever it was he thought he needed. And that's the toxic positivity I'm talking about. Like bad shit happens to good people, right? That's honest. I mean, as a rabbi, that's only one of the only truths I experienced guiding people through hell is bad shit happens to good people. That's not negative. That's just true. But if you come from a baseline of there's something wrong with that and there's something wrong with you for buying into that, well, you know, you're you're a toxically negative person. Yeah, I hated that damn book. Never got through it. Have a copy laying around somewhere, may have burned it because um, it's just such garbage. It's, it's multi-million dollar selling garbage because I think we're all looking for a simple answer. We'll just manifest it. What the hell does manifest mean? Oh, I'm getting tired of that word too. Like, well, if I just think about it long enough, the million dollars will appear. No, you have to bust your tail if you want that to happen. And it may still not happen. But going back to what you were saying, that's that's the human condition. We talk about the tragic triad in logotherapy, pain, guilt, and death. We all deal with it. We get to choose how we deal with it. And if we choose meaningfully, some cool stuff can happen maybe, but not always. Well, I think it can happen. I don't know if it's cool, but you know, Frankel's uh, one of his contributions was that if you're back into my dad's situation or you know wh whatever hell you're going through, and everybody's going to go through a hell, you know, everybody's terminal listening to this. Uh, hopefully, you know, it's a lot longer runway than not, but ain't none of us getting out of this alive. So we all have the darkness to face. Frankel's driving message was: then go into it and. Find something meaningful, your meaning. It's in there, right? Become that spark seeker and go into the dark. Mm -hmm. And the secret, all they had to do was say, maybe ma manifesting is real. I don't know, but that's secondary. First and foremost, deal with the darkness and then go manifest to your heart's desire, but don't bypass the darkness. And I think that may be the second reason why we struggle here to bring this to to scale it to make it more common because when you say go into the darkness and discover the meaning inherent there to make something of it that reflects on logotherapy's idea of taking responsible action mm -hmm. and personally i believe in a time we are in a time where responsible action for whatever reasons we can go into all the history of that but responsible action is not really uh in the limelight or favored amongst much of the population so the idea of embracing suffering and taking responsible action um it's easier just to say well if i'm going to walk around and, and saying everything is awesome and and, and manifest a million dollars like and, and if that doesn't work I, I have prescriptions to take care of that sounds a lot easier so I just read an article, I think it was by Barry Weiss or the Free Press. It's, I'm really, I'm really um, enamored with some of these news outlets now that are taking back authentic journalism, which is, you know, like getting into un, um, 
controversial topics and really looking at both sides and presenting it and not just kind of whitewashing it. Anyways, they, they took on the topic of Sam Bankman Freed for those listening, you know, the, the, um, kid, the guy, well, the, here's, here was the article was we keep calling him a kid, right? He, and he's presenting himself as a kid. He was even called the one, the, the wunderkind right back to Ted Lasso, the wonder kid, right? Um, and we're calling him the wunderkind, this child, but he's not a child. He's 30. But we're creating a culture that is, it's infantilizing. It's, it's, it's taking away responsibility, right? The statistics in this article were just amazing at how we actually are acting like children far beyond the time when, you know, people came before us were children. Yeah. You're 30 years old. You're not a child, but mm-hmm. he's being presented as a child. And I think that that comes to your point, Dan, of, of this responsibility. Like we're deferring and delaying responsibility. Well, and, and how many stories of 30-year-olds do we know that are, like, choose that infantilized behavior of still living with mom and dad or a single parent in the basement in the dark playing video games? I mean, it's almost become a, a sad meme in our times of people. Now, fortunately, I get to work with young men that want to do things and are trying to break free of that. But we do hear about that all too often, that refusal, that avoidance. Again, Dr. Peterson talks lectures on it all the time. Of, of avoiding responsibility. But it's not just the kid in the basement. It's the parents upstairs because I do, I, I don't anymore. When I was a rabbi, I did funerals nonstop. I would say 60, 70%, a majority weren't prepared. They, they didn't plan. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it was 70, 80 year olds. How do you not prepare for your death, mm-hmm. taking care of all of the need, the necessities, you know, all of the arrangements that should be pre-planned if we are going to be responsible human beings. There's no excuse because all we do is dump that baggage on somebody else, our children, our spouse. Somebody's got to make those decisions. They're ours, but we don't want to face these darker, more difficult conversations. So why is it that that idea of facing death, facing suffering, embracing logotherapy and these ideas is more popular in, my experience has been far more popular in in European cultures and even South American cultures. Is it because they embrace these difficulties better than we do? Yeah. Well, there's that. Let's address that. And then let's also address Jungian psychotherapy also gets into shadow work but I would argue it's not the same thing. It's not what Mm -hmm. we mean. So let's come back to that. Um, Here's an interesting reality. And I noticed this all the time when I was doing those funerals. And that is that we've outsourced death. Nobody, nobody, I wouldn't say nobody. Rarely did I experience a home death by design. Usually it was at a hospice um, or it was at a hospital or it was outside the home. When that happened, the body was whisked away to a funeral home. Um, people didn't want to prepare in what was called the Hevra Kadisha, which is the traditional burial where you wash the body. That was always left to friends and community. And now the response to that is kind of an ick. I'm yeah. not touching a dead body. Yeah. And all it's been sterilized and sanitized. And you know, you go in non-Jewish funerals, you see the open casket and the body's all prepped and blah, blah, blah. I think we're just terrified of death. And I mm-hmm. think we've outsourced it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. And in outsourcing it, we've only fueled that terror. It is natural 
to be concerned about the finiteness of our existence. But if we don't embrace it, then we don't live a fulfilled and meaningful life. If we think we're going to live forever, that's part of many philosophies, but including logotherapy, right? If we don't embrace the finiteness of life and we think it's going to go on forever, well, then you don't, you don't really make meaningful choices. Yeah. And back to your question of why are we avoiding darkness? I think, you know, Ernest Becker's denial of death. I think it permeates so much of our lives. If we can just, you know, eat enough tofu and pump enough vitamins, we'll never die. <laughs> um, and, you know, bad news, you know, news, uh, news flash, no matter how much you jog, you're still going to die. Like it's, yeah. so let's confront this, these difficult um, conversations. And that's part of the greatness of logotherapy mm -hmm. is we face it, we embrace it, we work through it, we move forward. But this is a bit, this is a, a piece on our end. We haven't done enough marketing. You know, Frankel called this for a reason, height psychology. Mm -hmm. It's not dealing in the darkness. We don't linger there. We don't talk about your bad relationship with your mother for the next two years and the darkness that that, you know, you felt maybe it's a necessary stepping stone, but it's a stepping stone to get us out of the darkness. Yeah. So before we go into the Jungian shadow, um, one of my favorite pieces, and I'm sure it's in man's search for meaning as well as many other, uh, he's repeated the story in many of his volumes. I believe this is part of logotherapy in a nutshell where somebody comes up and says, Dr. Frankel, what, what is the difference between psychoanalysis and this logotherapy of yours? And he says, well, in psychoanalysis, uh, the patient sits on the couch and talks about their their childhood and their mother. And in logotherapy, they actually get to sit in a chair and we look face to face and they talk about what they want to do. And I thought that is, and that's totally a paraphrase, correct me. You know, go ahead and hit me up with any corrections there. But that's one of my favorite stories is he, he first of all, he uses the, the, the human spirit and some humor there to say there's a significant difference. Logotherapy is forward facing to set goals and move into the future, to deal with with any darkness and suffering, but to do something about it, to take responsible action. And that's the height psychology, you know, as opposed to, I, and I'm a fan of Jungian depth psychology. I like shadow work. What is, you know, what is shadow work? Mm -hmm. I, I, I think of it as more of an internal suffering as opposed to dealing with the world's suffering. And I, I think there's a little more self-involvement um, in our society that, re, you know, really can welcome that, but not so much talking about the darkness of, of starving children in India. That's a, that's a darkness I don't talk about often enough, but you know, my own wrestling with my inner demons, that's a little more in vogue because mm -hmm. I think it really directly impacts me. And then I think we start to get into, you know, the selfish nature of it when it, when it crosses from um, important work to, you know, sort of a mental, emotional masturbation, mm. right? Like it's just self-satisfying at some point. And I see this as a shadow with shadow work because people I know have been doing it for decades, mm -hmm. right? Stuck in the shadow work, doing this inner work. And at some point, Frankel would have said, you got to rise above that. You got to do more than self-actualize. You got to self-transcend. Yes, the time of self-actualization is behind us. I believe that was the 80s and 90s as everybody was trying to self-actualize. And what we've learned is if we self-transcend, if we serve others in a meaningful way, we will reach self-actualization. Now, I do want to go back to one phrase you used that I've used 
not as prolifically as I would like in my career, but when it does come up, oh, it feels it's such a it's such a satisfying uh, phrase to use, and that is mental masturbation. What uh, what does that mean to you, B? I mean, I think we encounter that way too much, and hopefully uh, some people got a chuckle out of that. But I think we see it all too often. People getting stuck in that repetition of pleasurable yeah. rumination. I guess is the word. Yeah, it's it's um, it's going to change the rating of our um, of our podcast. So I like that. I always, Bro, you've dropped I'm, the S bomb like four I'm times. I'm an Enneagram eight. I live for this shit, okay, dude. So, I'm going to have to put the explicit on this damn thing. And shit, sorry, man. You, the, oh. you, should, you should partner with an Enneagram something other than anything. <laughs> um, so I think it was Shmuley Boteach. He's a he's a well known rabbi. He wrote a some great books on the topic of sex, but he, he said, you know, we have a misnomer and we call people sex addicts in this day and age, especially men. I think men are responsible for like 90% of porn or something like that. Um, and we don't talk about it, but they're not sex addicts. Somebody who's using porn is an orgasm addict. Mm -hmm. Sex is an act between people and there's relational qualities to that. Orgasm is purely self-satisfaction mm -hmm. with no other other than pixels on a screen or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's part of the nature of what we're talking about. When you asked me what is mental masturbation, there's no relational quality. There's no productive. There's no use mm -hmm. other than making me feel good. Yeah. And I would rather deal with somebody who has a true sex addiction than somebody who has just an orgasm addiction because there's a selfishness to the, the latter. Yeah. And I mean, we can go into the whole, that's a whole nother episode, right? That is my area. Uh, one I'm working in a lot lately is addiction and the idea, I can't stop thinking about it. Like we're all addicts now in some way, whether it's spending or, or, or sex or masturbation or pornography or substances or food, um, we have all entered into this world that we feel like we have to feel good all the time. And we will do that. We will seek endorphins or dopamine or serotonergic, bur serotonergic burst whenever we can in whatever way and then rationalize it when, if we go back to what we were saying, the ultimate pleasure, meaningful pleasure is self-transcendence in the service of others. By helping others, you get to feel pretty amazing as i've mentioned before the great poet philosopher joe rogan said doing things for others is so selfish because in the end you feel good too mm -hmm. all right brother we've talked a lot about the why we haven't even gotten to the union shadow yet which is yeah, so much fun i want to go back to the phrase sir turn how do you say serotonin i'd have to practice that one <laughs> Dopaminergic, serotonergic. You, hey, look. That's be like your biography. Yes. Yeah, this first. is your fault. You <laughs> turned me on to one of those news outlets. Um, uh, plug here Daily Wire Plus for a hundred bucks for the year. I am, talk about it, addiction. I am a Jordan B. Peterson video and podcast, like all of his lectures. Dude, how many hours does he go through just the book of Genesis from the Bible and psychological? It's fascinating. I even got my wife. She sat down and watched the marriage videos with me and said, check it out, you guys. Ooh, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> I mean, 
Skip. Oh, oh boy, that's, gonna, that's, gonna, that's short of a serotonergic burst. I got to say, it sure that's is, sure is a little bit. So, man, we could go. This is what happens. When we, this is what happens when we miss each other for like two or three months and yeah. we get together. Like, cram too much in. You're way too much. You want to talk about union shadows or how to scale logotherapy? I'd say we shift into okay. Well, an idea that's time has come because. Um, you know, one of the things I see is the nihilism that Viktor Frankl railed against, said that this is the source of evil in the world is nihilism, the belief that life is meaningless. And see it so every time I turn on the news now and I hear the conversations we're having that are just inane and I don't have to get into them. We're bored out of our mind. We're 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 hopeless out of our mind and We've got to get back to a place where we find meaning. And that is an idea this time has come. Amen. How do we find meaning? We find meaning in three ways. Our experiences, our creativity, and our attitudes. Rather than, I agree with you, man. Some of those things on TV are just so inane, so boring. But we have nothing, for many of us, we just feel like we have nothing better to do so we sit there and numb ourselves out rather than investing in creativity or experience. So let's um let's unpack those real quickly. So experience finding meaning. How do we do that, Dr. Dan? Experience finding meaning. Uh, for me, I love travel. I love traveling to see interesting things and to meet with interesting, not just interesting people, but people I care about. Um, a personal example. Uh, last week, I've been planning on this for a while, uh, as I've shared, uh, life in Farmville in January and February is gray. It's just gray, man. We don't see the sun for, for days. So, you know what? I'm going to go see a buddy in Texas. Took off for Texas. We were just going to play some golf because he's terrible at it, and, and I could feel good about myself. Every day, and we were talking about this on the way back to the airport, every day we met with some really cool people. Uh, day one, after we golfed a little bit, we met with two guys creating a comic book. What do they call it? Edutainment, highlighting the historic battles and battleships of like World War II. It was amazing stuff. I'll, uh, I've got a few prints. I'll talk about it in a, in a future podcast. Day, day two, we head out onto the golf course again. He, he hated the idea, right? He's like, oh my God, we're going to get paired with two other people. Uh, we're going to get stuck with Tyler and Dexter, and they're going to talk about Buffy and Heather and their trust. I'm like, bro, you got to take it easy. Be open to experience. It's one of the big five personalities. Like, don't you give me that psychology stuff. So uh, 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 Tyler and Dexter wind up being Miguel and, and Louise. And these were two of the coolest dudes we had, you know, connected with them. We're like, we're coming back to do your charity golf outing next year and everything. Experience meeting new people, interacting with people you care about, traveling, experiencing nature. There's so many things out there to experience that are not in front of your TV. So experience opens the possibility of discovering meaning, mm -hmm. right? And, and breaking out of our little ruts and routines. And, and now more than ever before, we're in these just narrow little box of, you know, I see like, walk people walking down the street you're missing the experience right like you're gonna fall in a pothole and you're missing or or i was uh i was at a cafe and they just had a sign up that said there's no wi-fi here pretend like it's 1990 and talk to each other um and you go to a cafe and you look around uh, like people are even sitting with a 
date or something and they're doing this. I'm probably guilty of it too. I try mm -hmm. not to be, but I am. So we're missing out on the meaning of the moment, which is really at the heart of why this mm -hmm. is an idea as time has come. Yeah. Okay. When you allow yourself to experience new people in their uniqueness, to transcend the self out of your phone, it can be incredibly, it can be disastrous. Don't get me wrong. There was somebody that I really didn't want to talk to at the airport bar that told me their life story. Um, but on the other hand, there are times where it can be incredibly meaningful. That's, so that's experience. Um, I'll ask you about attitudes. I'd, li I'd like to riff on creativity because I've been having an amazing experience talking to my men's group, my, my men's substance abuse group. Um, right. I do, I do substance abuse a little different because I'm a logo therapist. We talk about meaning and adventure and, and creativity. And it's been beautiful. It's been just so amazing to hear some of the adventures these guys are trying to take on as they try to establish sobriety. I, one gentleman, <laughs> this was so sweet, built an entire little house for his children in his garage. Unfortunately, it was too big and he can't figure out how to get it out of the garage, but that'll happen <laughs> another time, right? Another one started a side business fixing people's lawnmowers. Um, some, you know, a lot of guys turn to working out or starting their own business. These are opportunities for creativity. All of these things that we think, as you said, too many people get stuck in their phones. They wake up, they go to work, they work all day, they go home, eat dinner, watch some TV or, or, or do the thumb exercise scrolling and they go to bed and they start it all over and they miss the opportunity to create, to paint, to design, to work in wood, work in clay. And the thing I would add to that is you know, Frankel and logotherapy talk about that as a spiritual activity. And that's, I think, a big um, point of all of this. It's not just you're being imaginative. Mm -hmm. It's that this is spirituality. I'm so sick and tired of talking about spirituality as if I have to go do yoga or sit in meditation or go to a church or synagogue. Like that can be for me, mm -hmm. you know, going to a some of those places is the opposite. Mm -hmm. I don't feel spiritual, but that's not what spirituality is. Spirituality is engaging in this process of discovering meaning. And what happens when we start talking about, yeah, I am a spiritual being. I'm a spiritual practitioner. I discover meaning. Mm -hmm. People would look at you like, what are you talking about? Well, mm -hmm. I believe it resonates with people when you talk about that's a spiritual act for you. Like for you doing this, golf might be a spiritual act. For me, it's not. For me, it's doing this. But that's a spiritual pathway or a, a deeper relationship with my spirit, my essence. And that is needed now more than ever before. Yeah. And one other thing. Through. Oh, go ahead. The, the, the book, because you mentioned Genesis, the word Adam, right? People know the name Adam, Adam, Adam. It um, comes from the Hebrew word Adameh, which means I will imagine. And that's one of the differentiators between us and an animal is we have the ability to imagine a possibility that doesn't yet exist. Yeah. So we are imaginative beings. And I think we're just talking about helping people reconnect to that essence. Yeah. And, and I would challenge anybody out there listening to this. It says, ah, that Bible is just a collection of, of terrible stories and, and they don't mean anything to check out uh, Peterson's lecture. I mean, we're talking like 15 two-hour lectures on that book and, and understanding what just that idea there, what that word means, how it came from a combination of cultures to form this story that has survived for thousands of years and has significant meaning, whether you believe in religion or not, it has significant spiritual meaning for who we are today.
you know, just a simple, another simple idea, the name of God, I don't care what G-O-D is not a name you're going to find anywhere in the Bible. But when Moses says to God, what's your name? God's response is, which means I will be that I will be, which means the moment you try and freeze me, you know, make me static, that's not me. And I think that that's really what Frankel was getting at, which was living in that vitality, in that creative process. That's divine. But when you get stuck, that's the pathway to hell in my experience. Yeah. And I think people people really are longing for energy and movement and experience that you're talking about, we're talking about. Yeah, as you said, there are so many examples of to create is divine. It taps into our essence, our spirit, and meaning. And, and when we're not creating, when we live that life of wake up, go to work, go home, scroll, rinse and repeat, we rob ourselves of that opportunity. And that's, I believe that's why we have so many people on antidepressants. You're not depressed. You're just doing the same thing. That bored. Have You're any bored. Meaning. You're bored. bored. <laughs> Go find some excitement. As, as the good Dr. Peterson says, man, I've been listening to him too much. Too many quotes on Peterson today. But, you know, you got to have an adventure, man. Um, all right. How do you find meaning? Experience, creativity, take it away. What in the world are our attitudes? And how do we find meaning in our attitudes? I just had this conversation of uh, coffee this morning with a uh, friend of mine, and we were talking about his greatest fear is that he grows old and, you know, his mind still works, but his body shuts down. His friend died of ALS, very extreme mm -hmm. example of that. And the thought of just lying there and not having any ability to experience, to create. And we talked about, but you always have your attitudinal. And in that moment, when you don't control your circumstances, which honestly, is all the time. You don't mm -hmm. control your circumstances. You control one thing. You have power over one thing. And this to me is the greatest takeaway of logotherapy. You are powerful beyond belief if you own that one thing. And that is your ability to choose your response. That's it. There's nothing else I need to live a meaningful life. And when people get that, I mean, not just understand it, like, oh, that's a cool idea. When you get it, when you live it, when you're at the stoplight and the person cuts you off and you want to give them the bird and you choose not to, like that's power, right? That's a, that's a trivial example, but all day, every day, pay attention to all the circumstances where you find yourself reacting, you can choose to respond. That to me is powerful. And even in that trivial example, that small example is is the spark of what we can do in bigger situations and circumstances that's when everybody can understand and have a choice we will all face greater circumstances than somebody cutting us off at the red light and and we get to choose every time so how do we find meaning experience creativity attitudes all right man so so why why let's wrap it up with why is this an idea whose time has come or mm -hmm. how do we scale this message yep yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> Shoot, we both paused at the same time. I'm scared. Um, how do we scale it? Well, look, you and I are trying to do that all of the time through the work you're doing with the Defiant Spirit and the Enneagram. You can't help but let logotherapy leak through. I do it on a daily basis trying to share it with people and this podcast and my writings. And it's working a little bit. How do we do more? I would issue this. I would say I would challenge anybody listening to this. First of all, share it, right? I know that's the cheap podcast thing. Like, go ahead, share, like, blah, blah. But no, seriously, if you believe in what B and I are talking about, 
help get this message out there. Share this podcast with other people. Share both our podcasts with other people. But even, well, that's pretty easy to click a button and do that. But even a bigger challenge, go buy two, three copies of Man's Search for Meaning. Give it to a couple people you care about, a couple people that might be suffering and struggling and saying, hey, let's do a little book club together. I'm going to read this with you. I'm going to read it again with you. And, and, nice. and let's talk about it. I think we should buy as many as we can, but put them in hotel room drawers. <laughs> All right, let's scale awesome. this message. No, but seriously, I think what drove um, people to do that, you know, the Gideon Bible are people who take this as a spiritual paradigm, a platform, a way of being in the world. And when that's true, you, you become evangelical. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think we need to be more evangelical around the message of logotherapy, which mm -hmm. simply means, yeah, proselytize, share it. Right. Get mm -hmm. people to read that book and to live these principles. I, I think that um, I think that they're good and they work. And part of it is just getting a little, as we say in uh, my old business, a little chutzpah, a little audacity. Mm. Share the message. Chutzpah, such a great word. Share the message. I think that's the easiest way to say it. And keep in mind, um, I, I need to check back in with these people. Uh, Alex Vesely, um, Victor Frankel's grandson, and Pam Roy and, and a group. I, oh, I can't remember the, the, the production firm out on the West Coast. It's coming, you guys. Uh, um, we will have a feature film about logotherapy and Victor Frankel's life here in the next few years. I know it's in the pre-production phase right now. It is sponsored by big time money. It will happen. Um, but in the meantime, right, get on board, share this message, share these podcasts, go grab yourself a couple copies. I wish one of the problems with man search for meaning is the Frankel family no longer owns the rights to it. So anybody gets to copy and print it. And unfortunately some of them are, not well done hmm. um, but you know you can find one for 10 or 12 bucks go get a couple copies share it around leave it in the next hotel you go in. i mean i like that idea you know i was big on uh, uh doing that with uh, the doctor and the soul w one of my favorite fanboy stories last time i went God, here he comes again watch out you guys you know what's coming right i want to go see dr jordan peterson speak uh, a, a few well we both did last year and uh, I made sure I grabbed a copy of Doctor and the Soul. And, you know, when I shook his hand, handed it. No, sorry, I handed it to his wife, Tammy. I said, Tammy, if you could pass this on to him. So that's, that's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. Share the love, share the message. And um, lastly, I would say to any practitioners of logotherapy, we have got to become more creative, mm -hmm. integrating this in different ways and different, you know, aspects of whatever we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, I was at yoga this morning and it just felt like, man, this would be great if you integrated logotherapy messages into the yoga practice. Cause she was talking about one of some new pop, you know, um, author. I thought, what, what a great opportunity. So there's a thousand of those. How do we start integrating this message into other systems? Because I think that's also why this can scale. Dr. Frankel, I don't believe conceived of this as a closed system this is mm -hmm. he was not the steve jobs of psychotherapy right where you know a apple is a closed system nobody can break in from the outside mm -hmm. but he designed it to be um to work with other traditions and systems yeah it is an as i've written many times it is an adjunct an outstanding and perfect adjunct 
to just about any issue, any form of psychotherapy. And so I would take that not only practitioners of logotherapy, but look, all you counselors, psychologists, and therapists and coaches out there, get yourself a copy, learn some of these principles and share them around. You're only helping yourself and, and, and your clients out there. And you know what? I would challenge, I, I may know a few teachers. Um, and if you guys haven't read this one yet, uh, maybe it'd be a good one because you could pass this on to your students as well. We know students are struggling right now in the, in the wake of uh, the COVID pandemic. If you can share a little bit of meaning with these kids or, or students or adults, like, man, what, a, what an impact you might be able to have. And lastly, I'll say challenge to you, um, maybe you need to start the meaning project certification where you're doing some training and teaching. I'm happy to be an adjunct professor, but you, uh, you know, you you dedicated your life to this work. And I think um, people could come and study with you. So I'm putting that it's out. coming. There's some stuff coming this year, incorporating logotherapy in the MBTI. But as you know, the, the government bodies logotherapy might frown upon that. But I do. I, hey, if you want to learn more, uh, you know, there's a school down in Abilene, Texas, the Graduate Theological Foundation now, Sarasota, Florida, offers us uh, certification where I am an adjunct professor. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunities out there. You do not need to study the Dan Fran School of uh, Logotherapy. But, but you, if should, you, want to, you should. You should. You should. You should um, because it would be a lot of fun. And you get Rabbi B as an adjunct. So, I mean, and, bonus. And I'm very proud of behind me, you see the Defiant Spirit, which is taken directly from Dr. Frankel's work. But I, I believe I have the only Dr. Victor Frankel logotherapeutic um, infused Enneagram system, right? It's built on his philosophy, his work, and it uses the Enneagram. So if you're interested in the Enneagram, um, you will get both the Enneagram and the work of Dr. Victor Frankel. And I'm very proud of that work. Dude, that is so badass. I'm taking that. I'm, t I, I'm making sure we hit the explicit, but I think I've been watching that. I know I have my link uh, because there are doubts that I'm an Enneagram one. So I need to go back in and, and, and look at that. But I've been watching you cultivate that. And it is so amazing. I know the Enneagram continues to, to gain popularity, but it truly is a beautiful device for self-understanding. And you being a master of it, I hope people you know take a look. Where can they find out more about that, B? Thanks, buddy. Uh, DefiantSpirit.org. DefiantSpirit.org. DefiantSpirit.org to find out more about what I'm up to in the upcoming Logotherapy MBTI combination. DanielAFranz.com. You know it. It's D-A-N-I-E-L-A-F-R-A-N-Z.com. I think we just like organically went into a wrap there and, and wrapped this session up, B. It's always a pleasure, my brother. Thank you. I always look forward to our time together and I can't wait to the next one. Absolutely. Bye, right, brother. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit podcast with me, your host, Dr. Baruch Halevi. The Defiant Spirit is an offering of Soul Center to Center for Spirituality, Meaning, and Healing. And if you'd like to learn more about the Defiant Spirit or Soul Center, get more inspirational content, access to a variety of online programs, or see how we might work together to discover deeper meaning in your life, greater purpose for your life, or live the Defiant Spirit power within your life, visit defiantspirit.org. Until then, keep living your defiant spirit.